Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. Bridget Legault leads the Rainforest Alberta movement in Calgary as the community manager and also serves the startup community through strategy and growth consulting services. She is passionate about growing the tech sector upon a culture of trust, diversity and collaboration and activates this work through strategic ecosystem initiatives, learning experiences, storytelling and community engagement. Another awesome interview by Bridget, this time with her guest, Katie McLean. Take it away, Bridget. Welcome, everybody, to the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast supported by Rainforest Alberta. I am Bridget Legault, the Community Manager here in Calgary for the Rainforest Movement. And I've been very grateful and privileged to host a recent series on Women in Alberta Tech. And today I'm joined by a dear and good friend, Katie McLean of Tech Hub Growth Consulting. Welcome, Katie. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you for having me, Bridget. Thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to host you on the Libby podcast here today. So we're going to get right into it, Katie, and let the audience kind of have a little bit of unveiling of who is Katie McLean. And, and then later in the show, we'll get to what is Tusk Hub and how you help um, companies within the tech ecosystem. Um, but first, let's get right into it and hear more about you. Um, Katie, tell us a bit about like, where are you from? And even let's go back as far as to what was your upbringing like? What was Katie like as a kid even? Let's go, let's go back there. <laughs> Oh my God, it's been a while since I thought about that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm kind of more of a hyperactive child, I suppose, really into sports, really couldn't sit still. Um, you know, grew up in Ottawa, in this suburb of Ottawa, which was tons of fun, lots of kids in our neighborhood. But I just adored sports, running, softball, everything. Just had a, I had a really great childhood. It was fun. And um, entrepreneurial father, uh, which obviously has impacted me in a good way and, and in challenging ways as well. And, uh, yeah, so ended up childhood in Ottawa and then moving to Toronto and then to Calgary. So nice kind of diverse bit of, of places to live. Well, I always like to know what brought people to Calgary, especially when we've got, we've had a few women now on, on this series who come from Ontario to Hero, Quebec. Um, but we'll get there. Maybe let's talk a little bit first about, um, so you're living in Ottawa, you're a young, energetic kid, really into sports and all that good stuff. What, when did your, um, where and when did your professional, uh, journey take off? Right after university, um, I got a job with Xerox and, they sent me up to Northern Ontario. And so I lived in Sudbury, which is like a nickel mining town in Ontario and worked for Xerox for a couple of years there. Um, and it was interesting at, at Xerox at the time, they had probably the best sales training in the industry. So I had the opportunity to head to Virginia for three weeks. And at the time we were selling 
probably the first version of computers that Xerox had. And probably nobody remembers mm-hmm. that they actually sold computers briefly. But, you know, it was back in the day and um, ended up like working with mining companies and Sudbury and Timmins and helping them with their technology. Um, at the time, it was photocopiers and fax machines. <laughs> uh, so I'd end up like, you know, in one of the mining locations where there were, you know, just interesting people in, in offices talking to them about photocopiers. And so it was a really hard experience and it was a really great experience because it was basically door-to-door sales for a bit. And right. what a great lesson. But, you know, at the time Xerox taught you the spin methodology of selling, which is really about listening. And it's really about asking questions and understanding the customer's needs. And that stuck with me my entire career. And they did say that when we were doing our training, mm. that you'll, you'll never forget this. This is going to be a part of who you are going forward. And, and now I realize they were completely right because that's, that's been the case. And so a couple of years in Sudbury, um, the prices of houses were low then. So I was able at 21 to buy my first house. <laughs> and weirdly, they went up in value in that time in two years that I lived there. And mm-hmm. so I was able to move to Toronto and buy a house there. At the time, the prices were really high. So that was a cool thing, something that I always wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And then when I went to Toronto, I worked for a company that is now HP. But back in the day, it was called Digital Equipment. And I really wanted to um, go and sell for like a really big technology company. And so that was, that was really neat doing that in Toronto, um, learning technology. So this time it was three months learning the technology, which was at the time um, learning to sell their, their server software, um, which was a disruptor to, mm-hmm. I guess, basically a mainframe computer at IBM. So yeah, that brought me to Toronto. It was super fun to kind of work there, selling to the provincial government initially, and then working on all the partnerships that at the time they had and creating new partnerships as well. And then from there, I went to Oracle. And at the time at Oracle, we were hiring a person a day. Uh, It was a super exciting place to be. Now, Oracle is, of course, a massive company. But then it was still, um, you know, really fast growing, really popular database, disrupting again. Um, So I guess the theme is I like being in industries that disrupt others. Well, let's unpack that a little bit. I guess selling within companies who are just disrupting industries. How do you think the approach to sales then in in that circumstance where, you know, you're you're working with potentially industries who aren't ready for the technology? Like how does that impact your your um selling process? Yeah, I mean, I think it gives you a good understanding of how to help people, um, the customer, absorb change and to accept new ideas Mm -hmm. and new ways. And that's really interesting. If you take it back to my entrepreneurial dad, he always had, I swear to God, he was 10 years ahead of with his ideas for people. So he was constantly Mm -hmm. bringing people to where he was. Um, in terms of thinking about new ideas. And probably I got that from him, just knowing how to do that and enjoying it. Because really, you're helping people see new new ways, probably better ways of doing things, right? And if you can bring them onto that, you're helping yeah. their company, you're helping their career, you're helping their um, ability to do their job better. Um, 
and, and to just progress. Right. And so I just love doing that. And it just keeps technology keeps accelerating. So there's still a need for, mm-hmm. for that in, in, in this world. So it's pretty fun. It is fun. I chuckled there because I don't know if you and I have ever discussed this, but my dad, my parents were also entrepreneurs the majority of my lifetime, successful ones with that. And my dad was the same way, always ahead of the curve and always imagining new things, but mostly maybe less than on the innovation side and more on the customer centric. And I remember when I started working with you, I saw that in what CapTub does and it's how I was raised. So it really resonated to me. Anyway, side note. Uh, if we go back to, okay, so this really impressive career selling disruptive, you know, technologies and other products and services, um, then where did things go for you? Yeah. So, I mean, at Oracle, it was full on, just so much fun, tons of travel, new people. I was, when I was at Oracle, I was on the partnership side. So I was helping to bring uh, the partnership program into Canada from the U.S., so we were looking for people to develop on at the time on on the Oracle database, and um, just everything was amazing. I loved it. I was on a track to 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 go to management, or I was in management, and to go further. And just one day, um, my husband's career also started to take off, and we had two young kids. And um, just when, like my my our oldest. Um, hit about 18 months, she started to call her nanny mama. And I just like, she called me mommy, but it still wasn't great. (laughs) And it came down to this idea, like, it wouldn't have mattered who it was. Like, I wanted to, I wanted to be at home with them. I wanted to be the one. Um, It wouldn't have been a choice between my husband and I I wanted to stay home. And like, I just didn't have any contact with our community or anything. I just didn't have time. I was 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. at the least if I wasn't traveling. And sometimes our nanny would have to stay over. And it just became this decision that my husband and I made together that I wanted to be with them and be a part of their lives. Mm-hmm. They were fine. They were completely happy. Like our nanny was amazing. Um, <laughs> and so I decided to quit. And I remember the day I went to my boss and I said, I, you know, I'm resigning. And he goes, where are you going? Like, like I was going to the competition, where right. are you going? We'll, we'll make it work. Where are you going? And I'm like, no, I'm going to go home. I'm going to stay home. That. And he was just, he was stunned because I didn't portray that kind of image at all. In fact, probably hid right. who I was. And so I ended up having, we had two more kids. Um, after I decided to stay mm-hmm. home, I thought, well, I'm going to really make it work. If I'm going to stay home, I'm going to go, I'm going to go all the way and have four. But it was really great the way my husband handled it. He said, we were just going through our spreadsheet of our budget and everything. And we had my income and his income, which were pretty close in, and he just moved the income to both of us. Like he split it, his income name and his name. And that's, that's how he always handled it. Never felt like the the role I took at home was any less important than his. Mm -hmm. Um, We looked at it that way. And there was a quote by Gilda Radner that resonated with me at the time is, you can have it all, just not all at once. Mm. And I'll acknowledge that I really wanted to be the one. I really did. Um, just wanted to, to be at home with them. So I don't think I meant to stay 18 years away from the corporate world. I did a lot of other things. Right. I uh, 
I raised a million dollars for cancer research. I was a, I coached the kids track and field at their schools. I, um, I started a couple small companies, you know, just really got to know all our, our community and to contribute in that way as well. And then until the day, you know, when I decided it was time to go back. Mm -hmm. And that was interesting too, because when you're at home for 18 years away from corporate world, meaning, uh, you know, I thought I kept up with technology, but I don't know. I was, I was uh, on a plane. I had time to read a book called How Google Works by Eric Schmidt. And I went, oh my God, that might be the only company I could actually work for. They seem to have a really cool culture. <laughs> <laughs> and so I decided oh, I'm going to try to work at Google. And I didn't know anybody that worked at Google because I don't think anybody did in right. Western Canada. <laughs> and I saw that there was um, a seminar on in Toronto. And, and it was, it was uh, hosted by Google or something. I'm like, well, I'm going to go there and see if I can meet some people. And <laughs> I ended up meet, meeting the guy that was, ended up being my boss and, uh, and ended up getting hired at, at Google. I had to go back into a sales role instead of a management role, but whatever. Like mm -hmm. I had a lot to learn and ended up, ended up working there. And it was amazing. Great people. I, I reported into the Toronto office, but I worked remotely. And this was probably, gosh, when was it? Like six years ago. So I was working remotely well before everyone yeah. had to a couple of years ago. And, and working remotely into a company that was not really made up that way. Google liked to have everyone in the major offices. That mm -hmm. was very important culture. And so, but it was fun. It was fun to take a look at Western Canada and try to think, who's ready for the innovation of Google Cloud? And it was Google right. Cloud that I was doing work for and, and try to figure out who are the people that are ready for innovation like this. And that was an interesting, interesting challenge. But my first day in Mountain View was like my first, literally my first day was at Mountain View on an onboarding session for two or three days. And it was just like, I was awestruck, just awestruck by the level of innovation at that time compared to what I was seeing around me. Right. And so it just felt like such an amazing learning opportunity. And I was just soaking it all up. But I remember getting back to my hotel room each night and I just like flop onto the bed and go, oh my God, <laughs> this is incredible. <laughs> okay. I want, to, I want to hear more about the Google experience. I'm sure everybody does. But I, I don't want to glaze over the fact, it, the phenomenon that is uh, an 18-year resume gap. But I mean, honestly, it, you, when you attend a, how do you fill a gap in your resume workshop and you learn how to, you know, transfer all the things you had been doing into things that relate back to work? You raise a million dollars. You call it an entire gap is not entirely fair, but um, but it's really incredible. Uh, that that you know you have taken that much time away from you know traditional kind of opening and we're we're able to get back in and that leverage that moment of you know Google hosting something in Toronto and just showing up and talking to the right people. You always hear about that's how you get jobs, like talk about the shiny But it's not really how you get a job at Google because the although it helped to um, I guess be able to apply the way that the Google hiring system works, the hiring manager doesn't have the say. Right. It's 
it's a quite a democratic process you have to go through um, applying through, you know, HR in Mountain View and going through these incredibly intensive interviews. Like they're, they're at the time were notorious for these interviews. Right. And you had to get interviewed by four different people on four different qualities that they were measuring for. And you didn't know which one you were getting at the time, right? Mm-hmm. And keep in mind, when they were interviewing me, they want examples for everything you say you are or that you can do. And I'm like, I had to really think back to 18 years prior to examples or to take some examples out of my volunteer work. But it, it had to seem, it had to seem relevant. I did have a consulting company and I had been doing some consulting. So I could, I could reference a few of those things, but they're stressful interviews at the best of time. But for me, <laughs> it was like they flew me to Toronto for the interviews and I went through four interviews for the four qualities they were measuring for. And I just gave it everything I had. I had rehearsed it. I had all these ideas. I told, it was like I told them my hopes, my dreams, my biggest accomplishments, my biggest weakness and how much I loved them. And then they said, thank you. And I flew back home again and I had to wait to see whether I'd made it through or not. And, you know, in between, and then I ended up having to have a couple more interviews. And in between them, it, there was so much angst, like, oh, I you know, and, and I thought it was just me because it had been a gap. But since then, I had a few of my friends and, and relationships go through those types of interviews and they weren't any different than me. But at the time, it was it was pretty stressful. They they are very, very, very thorough. In, in how they hire. And so I felt lucky that I got the job and, and was able to like perform once I was there as well. And so, so it was good. It was a great experience. And I only stayed there for a couple of years because it actually, for all the things on culture with Google, it wasn't really any different than Oracle. It was still like well beyond, you know, a normal work week in terms of and I'm not sure if it's because they hire type A personalities that really try to achieve or if that's a level of expectation, but, but that's what I saw. And I thought, I think I can do better. I think, I think I can, I can not do that, maybe have my own company and, and set my own rules for, for what, works, what work looks like for people with families, right? Mm-hmm. And even though my kids were a bit older, I still have four kids. And so... I wanted to find a better way. So then I decided to leave to leave Google. You decided to leave Google. And then I'm and then what? What should be on the edge? Yeah. So then I decided to start a consulting company and that I thought at Google I helped the first bank in Western Canada to go Google, go Google Cloud. And at the time Google was a bit of a startup, right? Because the cloud endeavor was was new. So I was able to um, feel like I was part of a startup, but I had a big brand behind me, which presented a lot of challenges because people wanted to talk to you, but they weren't necessarily ready for the level of innovation that the company had. And so able to work with a bank in Western Canada who decided to go Google, which was one of the first banks, not only in Canada, but in, in the world to go towards Google Cloud. And so that was a really neat experience. I got to learn because 
that opportunity came from the ground up. It came from, from my initiative, not a lead coming in. I learned what it takes to kind of match cultures. So the purpose of Google was really loud and clear, organize the world's information and make it universally ac- accessible and useful. And then the, the bank that we worked with, ATB Financial, had a very similar kind of culture to a Google. And so it resonated with me that matching cultures and purpose and values is actually an important part of having a long-term successful relationship with a client. And so that went really well. And I said, I want to test this. I want to see if it works with other startups. And ended up meeting with James Lockery at the time. And he suggested I talk to one of the local tech startups and ended up joining a legal tech company in, in, uh, in Western Canada and helping them to get to their first million in revenue. And it was the same idea, is matching people that are ready for the level of innovation with, uh, with a new product. And so that idea tested out again for me. And after a couple of years with the legal tech startup, I was like, okay, I'm ready to do this sort of more at scale. And so we were able to, I was able to incorporate then Tusk Hub and start a consulting company that has a kind of culture that I think accommodates a family. We work really hard, but we also train great talented people and we help startups all over North America and to, to grow to their first million in revenue and sometimes beyond that. So it's been pretty amazing. Yeah, okay, pretty amazing is that as an understatement. <laughs> um, I think, you know, that um, being able to identify it, like matching culture and values and purpose to your clients, a lot of times clients haven't even identified that for themselves. And so um, you help them, you help them do that, right? And, and root in, in that purpose and those values. Yeah, if they don't have yeah. it already, if they haven't figured it out, we, the first thing we do before we help them win clients is we, and we do it in a really strategic way. It's not a kind of a cold calling kind of way. We work on a whole attraction strategy with them. But in order to attract, they probably have a purpose for why they're doing it. They, they haven't articulated it. Right. They have values. They just haven't articulated them. And we help them, we help them with that first so that whole idea of a purpose-driven sale is front and center for how we work and, uh, and, and has worked again and again. It just seems to be that we're able to match them with the right clients. We also have, and I attribute it also that I've been around for a while, but we have this incredible network of people that are ready to help startups. And so a lot of times with things we've done, even with the legal tech startup is at the time, the CEO used to say that I'd reach into my big purse and pull out another connection that helped the company. Mm-hmm. Like a Mary Poppins bag, right? <laughs> you are Mary Poppins. Uh, and, and, and we've been able to do that. So recently, um, one of the companies we do work with, we connected with them with the former global, global head of sales of a large tech company. And now they're doing a POC there. And so... It just keeps working. And so we're going to be expanding on that further uh, to help more startups win. I just love helping them win their first customer, but we don't always do that. Like we work with a public company in Toronto that has been amazing as well. And we've just helped them go a little bit deeper into the world they were already in and, and, and train them on how to, how to win large deals and, and lend and expand into accounts. So 
it's what we do. And, and we like training young people on how to sell as well. And we like to leverage experienced people as well to come in at different points of the sales cycle and, and contribute to the, the furthering of how the tech startup does. So we tackle it on that end. And then on the other end, started a, a group called Women at the Cap Table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I was exactly. at the tech startup, I noticed that there were no women at the cap table at the time. This was like, I don't know how, like five years ago now. And it wasn't because they didn't want women. It's because they just didn't really know women that wrote checks. And maybe there weren't that many that even were aware that this was a way to support, I guess, you know, a new industry within Alberta, but also to just support and have an opportunity to, to make money as well. So form this group, we ended up investing in Athenian uh, as our first investment. I think they most recently raised $50 million. Mm-hmm. So that it's turned out fairly well. And then invested in probably six or seven other tech startups. But the most interesting thing about women at the cap table is we all decide together who we invest in. And the barrier to entry is small. I mean, you have to be accredited, of course. But generally, we're writing checks for $5,000 per company. Um, and we've had a chance to learn, one, how to assess a company, mm-hmm. and, and two, how to help a company. So most recently, we did a bit of a... We had all the companies that we'd invested in come and, and present to us on their progress. And a lot of them are pitching. We're pitching as well because they're raising again. And after, after they all left the Zoom call, we said, what have we learned? <laughs> what have we learned from this? And we had just such a great conversation. And, and that's why we do it. We're, mm-hmm. we're here to learn, here to contribute. The women that we have in our group are super smart. They're lawyers, engineers, financial experts, software executives. And like we have as much fun just learning and being together as, as we do anything else. So we're about to launch. And we're still just a club, nothing official, our own fund, where everyone will now put in 5K and be a part of the group and we'll jointly decide uh, what our investments will be. So anybody who's interested in joining us, just give me a call. That's so exciting. That's great. Um, and, and to be clear, you don't only invest in women-led companies, you, you invest in... We thank you for that, Bridget. Um, <laughs> we invest in purpose-driven companies. We invest in companies who want to create cultures where everyone thrives. Mm-hmm. And so, my experience in big tech was amazing. But those companies aren't built for people with families. You know, yeah. they really aren't. And and so, how how do we create software companies in the future where it's balanced? It's it's about sustainable growth. It's about creating work environments where you can pick up your kid and you can go and work after dinner if you want, but that the volume of work isn't so crazy that you can't really have a life. How can we mm-hmm. find this balance where we get the best of people over a longer period of time instead of having you know, higher cases of burnout and things like that? And the thing that resonates with me the most is my story of leaving Oracle. I didn't want to leave. Like, I mean, I would have preferred to have gone part-time and had interesting work, right? And so at Tuscub, that's what we're trying to provide as well. So we have a couple of 
you know, we have a number of young people working that are recent grads or in their 20s. My dream is that if they want to stay home like I did when I was at Oracle, they can go to two days a week and they can come back more whenever they want to, but that that, that they'd still have interesting work to do and they could still contribute. Because although I might have made it sound easy to go back and work at Google, it was it was tremendously, tremendously challenging and took a took a lot. And I was lucky enough to have had that career before I left to stay at home for a while that mm-hmm. I could rely back on those same skills again and they were in demand. Mm-hmm. But what about a world where we can scale back for a bit, whether we're male or female, and come back in and, and not have, you know, such a gap, right? And be able to still feel yeah. like we can do anything. And, and with technology accelerating now, the change is going to happen. The changes that'll happen over years are going to be even bigger. They're going to be exponential. Yeah. So if we don't keep our hand in the game, you know, when we're young, yeah. taking that time off just might actually put you right out of the job market yeah. if you don't keep up. Yeah, it really might. I actually hadn't, hadn't thought about it, but um, it really might. Um, this really, really resonates with me because when I had my, um, when I was on my first maternity leave, I decided during that mat leave that I would start my own business. And then that's what I did. And then just as I was about to have my second, I ended up having to sell my business. I won't go into why, but um, I had to. It wasn't a, wasn't really I wanted to. I had to. And um, I was devastated. I was also pregnant again. And I was devastated that I had to. I, I was I was done in my mind. You know, I had just sold my business. Now I'm sitting here ready to have another baby. And the thought of removing myself entirely from work again for a, a third maternity leave, which I wasn't expecting in full transparency. Thank goodness my son is very cute. <laughs> I was not expecting him. And uh, it rocked my world. Like I had a very, very hard time. So the the fact that you're creating a culture in a workplace where, um, how did you word it? Interesting. There would still be interesting work to do. Because what I saw all the other mothers around me doing were staying home with their kids. A lot of them, you know, doing the errands, running the sports and all the things. Um or I saw them starting kind of little side hustles with, you know, different types of, of small kind of side hustles is what they were. I wanted to stay in the work I had been doing. I wanted to be fully engaged in business and I couldn't. So I, yeah, I really admire um, that you're taking that angle. And my husband, I think we talked about this before getting on the recording. My husband wanted to stay home. He was more than happy to take paternity leave and spend time with the kids. He, he loved that. <laughs> and I was more than happy to, you know, pump during my lunch hour <laughs> and, and take, make, take all those or make all those uh, sacrifices so I could go back to work. Um, anyway, but- that's a good point, Bridget, because I think, you know, it can be either person. And, you know, right now I have time to go for it more, too, because even when your kids are older, you know, you still have a family to keep up. And my husband now has taken a step back from his big career. And I have a chance now where I'm lucky that that he's here. Uh, He cooks us dinner. He's, and he's perfectly happy. He's, he's completely happy not to be on a plane anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. So that idea, you can have it all, not all at once. And maybe within even a couple, you take turns. Yeah. Um, Yeah. 
where one time one person goes for it and and another time another person does. Because sometimes some jobs are just such that you have to give them everything. So it's just like an ebb and a flow. And I think that's kind of fun. Or it can be two people have equal careers and that manages well as as well anyway. So there you go. Yeah, we are both very fortunate to have those those partnerships, I guess. You know, I guess there are many problems without that and and different circumstances for sure. When we build these types of cultures where there's flexibility in how we, you know, can show up and, and the work we do. Because that's what I really like about Test Hub as well. There's obviously a lot of variety within consulting work in general, but yeah, there's there's different work to do and there's different areas to learn and yeah, you have some incredible young minds on your team and some incredible seasoned, more experienced folks on your team who, who kind of help lead their growth. So I think that's just so unique in a, in a workplace culture. So with all that being said, <laughs> you're supporting purpose-led businesses throughout, throughout globally, really, right? Like there's no, is there any geographical restrictions to coming to women at the table for funding? Negative. None, none for women at the cap table and none for Tesco. Yeah. And I think that just makes us smarter, okay. right? 100%. So yeah, reach out to Tesco if you haven't, if you're looking for, or in women at the cap table, if you're looking for funding or you're looking for, for growth support. And I do want to talk a little bit more about work because I find it really unique and I guess uh, a service that's um, desperately needed amongst startups who don't have the capital or the capacity to build out a sales team and what's the most important thing once you're in market <laughs> sales generating revenue. So talk to us a bit about um, how your team or how Test Hub can, can help companies and more importantly though, how they do it through your kind of unique purpose-led approach. Yeah, maybe the best way to describe it to you is to give you some examples of, of what we've done mm-hmm. companies. And, you know, um, the first company um, that we worked with as Tusk Hub uh, is a med tech company based in Melbourne. And the local VP of North America came to me and she said, can you help us with our growth strategy in North America? And they'd done really well in Australia and New Zealand um, and had, you know, some progress in Canada. And we just came in and helped them with the strategy. I helped them sell, helped them win some big deals, and then trained a young woman, Lauren, to help them be their salesperson. And she's still selling for them. But it's still fractional sales because they don't need a full-time salesperson just yet. And sometimes they need a bit of events and they need marketing and they might need um, something else, support at a trade show. And so we come in, we're like this flex. We're like we're not just a salesperson. We're like a team that mm. expands and contracts as you need us. And so that's worked out really well for both companies. And then, you know, sort of another example is, is the uh, company, the public company that we work with out of Toronto. They wanted help training their uh, global sales force to sell to large accounts and to lend and expand in large accounts. And we ended up spending a couple of years with them helping sort of train their sales force, onboard new salespeople and come up with ways that, that the product could be something that's more permanently installed in, in, in their customers' sites. And then all the way to a very technical company, an AI company that we work with here, we adore working with because they're the equivalent in technology to us in sales. Mm-hmm. And we respect each other greatly. And it's a whole lot of fun 
to try to translate and help them sort of make what they're doing sound approachable Mm -hmm. to their client. And so we spend a lot of time kind of what we call flipping them. So a lot of entrepreneurs are very excited about the product that they have. And they go and talk to the customers about their product and the customer doesn't understand it. And we flip them into that old spin that I talked about where they're asking questions about the customer's problem. And Mm -hmm. once we taught them how to flip it and we work with them, like we'll go on calls with them, we'll do like crazy amounts of planning before they even meet a customer. And once they know how to flip it, then they're listening and solving and understanding and the customer feels heard. And then it actually works towards a sale. And so we did this with this one fairly technical company and they would credit us with having them win that sale after all and being able to help this client solve their problem. And that's what we do. And that's what we do best. But at the same time, we'll come in and we'll go to a trade show with them. If they need a couple of people to go, well, we'll just go and help them. And uh, it's just this long-term relationship. We look at how do we, how do we grow with them? How do we help mm-hmm. them as they grow? So those are, I guess, a couple of the examples of, of how we work and how it's been successful. We're very hands-on. Our initial contract's usually like five months. And although we're teaching them some of the things they might learn in an accelerator, we're actually in the moment with them. Mm-hmm. So sometimes in an accelerator, you learn something and then you don't really understand how it applies in real life. We're in the moment. We're, we're, we're working with the companies um, side by mm-hmm. side. Yeah, that's a great value prop. Um, yeah, I, I really like that. And I like how um, you take this kind of listening, solving, understanding approach to your clients and teach your clients to do the same with their clients. And in turn, right, it's very reinforced. We're building this this trust um, and all through kind of, you know, this generous and very curious approach, which uh, is, you know, the saying that, every, what is the saying around people buy from, from people they trust. Um, that's not the thing. Anyway, whatever the thing is around and, and yet don't really do the work to build that trust. There's always that element of that salesy, like salespeople are known to be salespeople for a reason because they're salesy, generally speaking. Um, not the approach here at all, very relationship driven and sophisticated. So very, very cool. Yeah. We like to look at it like, these people are our friends. Mm-hmm. We want to help them. We want to be with them over time. Like yeah. we we'll always want to do the right thing, um, help them understand how to, how to move forward. And I believe sales has morphed away from that sort of, and I just wrote this in on LinkedIn, but away from that fast talking, I know best kind of thing to seeking to understand and solve a problem with a client and, and bringing the best resources to the table yeah. to help them do that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that is a great, a great note to kind of start wrapping things up, Katie. Something I'm, I'm curious throughout the series of Women in Tech is if you have any advice for, um, let's go with maybe for folks who are interested in careers and in growth and sales and marketing. Um, I mean, this this series is focused on women, but for individuals who are, are purpose-led in their work, what advice would you give to them as they either, well, start a new career or maybe take a big break in their resume and are coming back? What advice would you give them? 
I'd say look to your own purpose, right? Why, what do you want to achieve? Why, like, what do you believe in? What are you passionate about? And if you look towards that, if you emanate that through what you do and you look towards companies that are behaving that way, and it, you know, it might not be perfect, but it'll give you some idea of which direction you should go. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I got that job at Google. Obviously, that was something I thought was really cool after I read Eric Schmidt's book. And I really was passionate about corporate culture. And so what I really wanted to learn was, is that real? Like, what is that corporate culture that Google has? It sounds really cool. And mm -hmm. so it's like it's curiosity and passion and just like, why and how does this work? And, um, you know, I did take all that time off, but all these books behind me I read. <laughs> You do things right. And so that continuous learning will allow you to keep up that curiosity and be ready for a career pivot to be ready to be working in the not. But, you know, even when you're home, you can still have passion projects that you don't have to commit to if you're not being paid for them, but you can still set and achieve goals. And mm -hmm. that, if you're doing that, then that's all you do at work anyway, is set and achieve goals. So I don't know if that answered your question, but. Well, it does. I'm smiling. I wish I had that advice when I was that absolutely miserable on that final maternity leave, wondering what the hell will I do with my life? I could, I could have been in, in that moment. So if, if you're sitting there on a, on a paternity or maternity leave right now, and you're wondering what you're going to do next, um, or looking for purpose in that leave, um, set some goals in, in other ways. That's a great piece of advice. I really like that and work towards them in other ways. It doesn't always have to be in this, uh, in the corporate setting or in the professional setting. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Katie, for spending time with me today. And thank you to all our listeners for joining us throughout this series on women in tech in Alberta. Um, we've got a few more, uh, episodes to come, I believe. So stick with us and, uh, have a good one. Thanks so much. Thanks, Katie. Thanks, Bridget. It was a pleasure. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode was brought to you by New Idea Machine. Going beyond creating custom software solutions, NIM is dedicated to making a positive impact on society, providing opportunities for new software developers to gain real-world experience and contribute to meaningful projects. You get quality, affordable solutions at the same time you're supporting the growth and development of the next generation of skilled talent. Visit newideamachine.com for more info. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>